Let us pray. Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings with thy most gracious favor and further us with thy continual help that in all our works begun, continued, and ended in thee we may glorify thy holy name and finally by thy mercy obtain everlasting mass kind of will stand on its own uh, that entitled Acceptable Sins <clears throat> or what Jerry Bridges calls Respectable uh, Sins. He wrote a book called about five years ago, Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins That We Tolerate. Uh, and I'm joining my thoughts derived by God's help with biblical thoughts and kind of joining, joining that with some of the themes that he brings up uh, to come up uh, for, for this class. Acceptable sins, all sins that we grow accustomed to that become acceptable to us because we say this just a part of our personality and perhaps uh, socially acceptable sins. The New Yorker uh, cartoon said, uh, if everyone uh, is, I mean, excuse me, it's, if, oh, it's not cheap, does it, then uh, it, it becomes acceptable in social circles, becomes acceptable in our culture. It becomes acceptable to us. We get accustomed to them. We live them. We live with them without being too concerned about it and without discern, discerning their uh, destructive power uh, on ourselves. And, and those things which we often indulge in, uh, kind of almost unawares. Example, they could be, they could be numerous, and I'm going to talk about these uh, before we conclude. Irritability kind of seeps its way into various relationships. Uh, and, of course, anger, which is just a notch there. Pride, unthankfulness, theft, deceit, which we would distinguish from the little white lies, which, which also become kind of, kind of com comfortable in a part of our, our personal sight, but they are not. This is spiritually dangerous because we get this mindset that, you know, sure, I'm a sinner, but, you know, basically I'm lying. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with God. So that's the first thing. I've, I've defined what I mean by, by acceptable sins and what I mean by the heart of man. He listed coveting. This is Mark chapter 7. He listed coveting, envy, pride, and foolishness in the very same breath. Together sinful. It's like rotten meat. I mean, it's not... I don't know, I'm not a chef, but a little bit rotten or rotten. And I, you know, I'm just beyond aged meat. You know, what, what, once it's rotten, you don't cook it. Uh, it. It doesn't matter how rotten it is. I'm, I'm getting into areas I don't know what exactly I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, you, you, you get my point. Uh, to Jesus, they were all the same. Uh, and they all separated from God and they all destructive. So I'm going to talk about a few of these more respectable acceptable sins and their destructive nature, but in the final analysis, though, I do not want to leave it there. I want to conclude with the way that God deals with us and the hope uh, that we have for transformation. I'm going to start with irritability. And I, that oft-quoted cartoon, that New Yorker cartoon that I've often quoted, uh, sometimes I wake up grumpy, but sometimes I let him and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands like I have done 
in some of the previous classes. But nevertheless, I'm going to ask the question, is anyone here married to what they would describe as an irritable spouse? No, don't show it. <laughs> because I know that we can easily put on our Christian faith, Christian faith uh, outside uh, of home in an office or in typically more patient uh, socially than, than sometimes we, we are at home in, in private. Ability at home. They act, act different from where you really are. But you tell me whether this is an issue in your life. Uh, uh, Bridges defines impatience and irritability as a strong sense of unintentional faults and failures of others. Repeat that. A strong sense of annoyance at the usually unintentional faults and failures of others. <coughs> And if you live with someone that that, that learn to avoid your to your irritation, just don't ask. Just don't say, uh, "I'm sorry." Would you say that again? You just kind of smile. So I tell this on myself because it's the truth. But uh, I love occasionally, not often, occasionally potato chips and a diet coke and a bologna sandwich. <laughs> but the other day I went in to make it, and, and Jane had taking the grocery list and going to the grocery store and she came back and I went in and there was no mayonnaise. And what's a bologna sandwich at mayonnaise? I mean, so, I mean, I was so irritated. Actually, I caught myself doing that. I actually took a black magic marker on a grocery list and I wrote out mayonnaise, big strong words, exclamation point, exclamation point, and underlined it twice and put it on the table where that she could see how inconvenienced I was. <laughs> At the fact that I had come all the way home for a bologna sandwich and there was no mayonnaise. So I, it, it, it is, it, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's whatever you want to. It might be socially acceptable and it might be respectable and all that, but, it, but it's sin. But what presses your irritability button? Maybe your spouse is, is punctual and you're not, and you're not. I don't know, sometimes that can, that can cause irritation. Telemarketers, talking about telemarketers. Now, these guys, uh, why did you ever get irritated at a telemarketer? All these poor people are just trying to do their jobs. You know, you don't have to slam the phone down at their face. You know, how go, go to hell or whatever. <laughs> I, I'm on tape on a, yeah, so how about uh, road rage? I talk about road rage, but road irritability. I'm talking a lot about irritability because I stand, I stand condemned. But what is, what is the first thing, the very first thing, one of the greatest hymns of love ever written by anybody was St. Paul in Corinthians chapter 13. And what is the first thing that Paul says about love? And we read it in all the weddings, just about every wedding. I guarantee you, at least 50% of the weddings have that wonderful hymn of love by St. Paul. First thing, love is patient. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful, is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful. There you go. Take the word love out there and put Jesus in there, and you've got the incarnation. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. And can you imagine Jesus is slamming the phone down on the telemarketer? I mean, can, really, can you imagine it? Can you imagine Jesus being irritated because 
somebody can't hear. Can you imagine being irritated because somebody didn't buy the mayonnaise? Now, <clears throat> it's because he didn't have any sin in his heart. He's had compassion. He had love. Now, yes, the same, there's such a thing as righteous indignation. But righteous indignation uh, is not the same thing as irritable. And the starting point for overcoming, as we hear, but continually angry at home. Uh, and, if, and if anybody lives with, a, with a, the psalmist says, I would rather dwell in the wilderness alone than an angry and contentious woman. That's the psalmist. So, and it's, uh, I don't read those at weddings, but... <laughs> But does anyone uh, live with a, uh, what we call a sourpuss? Uh, it's, it's not healthy. Now, yes, there is something called righteous anger. Uh, and indeed, th- there is and injustice. However, we need to remember this, is that I would say 100% of the people who are angry feel justified in their, in their anger. And that's why it's so acceptable. And Jesus' uh, indignation, uh, Jesus, you know, the old saying, he, he, he hates the sin but loves the sinner. Now, that's trite, and it's maybe overused, but it's the truth about Jesus. And always self-control. It was constructive. It was not destructive. Now, if you love someone who is continually angry, then they've got a deeper... Now, before we move on to another sense, this is why I'm getting a little trouble here. I know that. Go ahead and email me if you want to, but I'm going to talk about anger at God. Someone told me, the other day, <clears throat> not long ago, they thought it was okay to be angry at God. And let me respond by saying that I have, particularly at one point in my life, uh, have, I have felt angry at God. But I will also want to say that it's not okay. Uh, and, and certainly, uh, it, pastoral sensitivity is an issue. I would never go up to someone angry at God for them to admit that and for me to say shame on you. I would never do that. Uh, in a pastoral situation. Uh, but uh, I, I w- would also suggest to you that it's not okay. Uh, it is okay to ask why. Why, God? But remember, anger is directed uh, toward wrongdoing. Anger is, is, when we are angry at God, what we're really this is wrong, and I'm not just speaking to you anymore because you're wrong. What you did was bad. Now, that to me is anger at God. Now, save your emails. I don't know. I can understand. And I, I know a lot of you have a heart for this. I am just saying that there's a difference. People talk to me about Job. Well, I, you know, I've read Job, and I've read it many, many times, and I, 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 I don't find anger in Job. That doesn't make it right. I mean, David was, was, was found guilty of adultery, but David, King David, that doesn't make adultery right. And anger to God is is. is I personally had to repent of it, uh, and I know it freed me up to, to say, yes, I'm going to ask why, uh, and wish that God would have found another. We'll talk about pride. I'm going to change, change it all, change pride. This is going to get sticky wicked also, this pride, especially when it comes to, I'm, I'm so proud of my child. Okay, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Pride. <clears throat> now, pride, uh, even what we call justified pride as opposed to arrogance is very common. And it's also very much accepted. It takes very various forms. One is moral superiority. For instance, moral superiority is that he's not like the other guy. You, you, know, you know the famous parable. Uh, and uh, we see so much of this, and, and I see it so much in my own life. I mean, I'm so glad I'm not a revisionist. Uh, and and I, I believe we rightly deplore the fact that, that, this, that, that the doctrines and teachings of this church is being undermined and being revised. 
Uh, I, I'll stand firm on that. But I also see how easy it is to slip back into some kind of moral superiority, or you could call it pride of correct doctrine. Uh, it's easy to see uh, the heresy of the church. But it may be, and, and St. Paul would definitely agree uh, that we model superiority. Uh, and now speak, and moral superiority is, is a slippery slope. Uh, someone t- talked to me the other day, and I, I know he was being cute, but I was buying a filet at the grocery store, and he said, you know, I don't think Jesus would be buying filet mignon. Uh, you know, so I said, well, all right, how about the hamburger meat over here? What I mean, that's... <laughs> But, uh, but and, and, and there, I was irritated at him, so, I mean, his moral superiority and my irritation, the two sinners going to each other pretty hard there. <laughs> uh, the pride of a vegan, or, or a, a vegan, how do you want to pronounce it? I'm talking about someone who's a very strict vegetation, consumes no animal food or products, and no fur, no leather. They can be so proud in their moral superiority. Uh, and, again, it makes me so good with it. <clears throat> But let's talk about another kind of pride, and that's the, and that's the, uh, the, the, the sin of pride, and that's the pride of achievement. Uh, and Scripture teaches that, that whatever we have comes from God. As we say at the offertory, all things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. And this whole idea of a self-made man, it's just untrue. It's just untrue to Scripture. We think the secret to success is hard work, and absolutely, there is definitely a cause between success and hard work. But where do we think, the, where do we think the, the work ethic came from? I mean, what do you have that you did not receive from God? About how absurd that is. Our intellect, our natural skills, our talents, our opportunities. Say, Bill, you should be proud of yourself. I don't say, no, Bill, you shouldn't be proud of yourself. You should be thankful. And it's, here's the sticky wicket now. Same with our children. They come to see that I, I don't want to be proud of my children. I want to be thankful for my children, whatever they accomplish, whatever, they, whatever good things that happen. I want to be thankful. At a recent learn, I know how you feel because I felt this way. So, uh, son, and I'll lift up my class because I want everybody to know how proud I am of you. And just what, what because of this and that. And but what, what a wonderful thing. So, you know, Bill, you, know, you accomplished great things. And I just want everybody to know how much I thank God for all they sit right up there with the worst of, of, of sins. You, I don't think you can be prideful and thankful at the same time. But, but the psalmist says, <clears throat> a fool in his heart says there is no God. And certainly that's true. But the scripture teaches there's even a greater fool. Uh, and Romans 1 verse 20 says it. Since the creation of the world in his invisible nature, namely God's eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So these people are without excuse. These are the people that claim that they know God, but yet are indifferent to God. And he says, for although they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor him as thankful people. You know, that's, that's, uh, there it is in a nutshell. Uh, so to the look around. When is the last time? And I'm not wagging my finger at anybody because, believe me, I'm the, I'm the chief of all sinners. But when is the last time you looked in your pantry uh, and just uh, a sandwich and uh, it was time to eat? And so I opened up a sandwich and I said, uh, Emma, how about do, uh, do a blessing for, for us? Let's look at thanks to God for this sandwich here. And so she starts praying, thank you, God, for this sandwich. And she said, and thank you, God, that we can smell the grass. <laughs> 
So I'm thinking to myself, I said, how childish of, as I suggested, of my eyesight. It's about as ridiculous as being proud that uh, my son accomplished this. It's just a matter of, of giving thanks to God. For what makes Christian Thanksgiving <clears throat> unique above all is when the prayer, we said it this morning already, uh, we don't know the word, unworthy to give the most heartful thanks for all our goodness, loving kindness to all men, and we thank you for our creation, preservation, blessing, all this life, but then becomes the nitty-gritty. But above all, we give thanks for redemption of the world through our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace, for the hope of glory. It's that, and above all, that really sets us apart. Okay, acceptable sins. <clears throat> so we, we've, what have we looked at here? We've looked at, we've looked at uh, irritability. We looked at pride. Uh, we looked at, uh, looked at anything else? Anger. Yeah, I want to go to envy uh, as opposed to uh, is kind of en- ha- having enjoyment. You, you wouldn't talk about it, but there's a little tinge of it, a little enjoyment in your heart at, at the misfortune of someone else. Uh, distress at the success of, 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 of other people. This little tinge is a resentment of what other people have or what other people have accomplished or success or where they are socioeconomically. Uh, that's envy at its ugliest, uh, at its... A drink. Thank you. <coughs> My classmate in seminary was recognized for his essay on the doctrine of election. And it was published in the Anglican Theological, also written a paper on the doctrine of election. And I remember the envy. I remember that, that Schadenfreude, opposite of Schadenfreude, I need to get that word, that little tinge of resentment. Because my paper, I'm telling you, my paper was better than his paper. <laughs> I know it was. But he gets, it, he gets printed and I don't. That's, that's, that's envy. Uh, and we're talking about acceptable sins. And, and parents may envy other people whose children do better in some fields or, or have better jobs, uh, especially if that parent or that child is proud. Now, if the parent or that child is thankful, uh, then perhaps the envy uh, might be allayed. But at any rate, envy is a nasty, kind of an ugly, very acceptable sin. I see it in myself. And Jesus mentions envy. Is a jealous God, uh, not jealousy that's born out of envy, but God is a jealous God. When we go after other idols, when we put other gods in our lives and put it before him, he says it very clearly in the Bible, I am a jealous God. The Lord your God is a jealous God. I shall have no other gods but me. Also, in my relationship with her, if I should uh, uh, begin to have, uh, you know what I'm saying, attraction to something else. Uh, it, uh, but uh, envy uh, is a serious sin, and we need to be relieved of it. Now, one more, and I'll be done with these uh, socially acceptable or individually sins. Of course, it includes taking the Lord's name in vain. I saw a sitcom the other day, and they said, Oh, my God, said it about ten times, and I got so tired of hearing it. You know, uh, but it, it's there. You hear it. It becomes socially acceptable, and nobody's going to call you for it. But I want to tell you, uh, it's taking the Lord's name in vain. But the, the sins of the tongue are far more uh, than that. Uh, the, uh, you know the old saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That is not so. Words can, words can hurt. 
Uh, and they can hurt big time. They can hurt you in terrible ways. And the Bible is replete with warnings against sins of the tongue. Uh, in the Proverbs alone, just the book of Proverbs, you'll find a warning against the sins of the tongue 60 times. Now, what immediately comes to mind when you think of sins of the tongue? God getting unfavorable information about someone else, even if that information is true. Now, more often than not, it's speculation. Hey, I heard old Bill Jones over there say, you know, I heard that. Uh, you know, we don't know, but we heard that. And it heard from a reliable source. Well, that or, or, or it's exaggeration or it's taken out of context. But gossip is spreading unfavorable information about someone, even if that information is true. And it's a sin that is widely tolerated. And the only time I know that uh, that kind of spreading the well-being of someone for someone's safety or, or for the safety of the party listening or the well-being of someone else, but they are, those are very rare situations. And the, what am I accomplishing by spreading this information? Does it make myself feel good? Does it make myself feel important? Because, hey, I know something you probably don't know. Listen to this. Or am I spreading it in ways that would be pleasing to God? Now, the thing about it is we can really sanctify gossip. You know a way to do that? We can set it apart as something pretty good when you say, uh, huh? Bless our heart. Bless our heart. Well, that's, that's, I hadn't thought about that. Bless our heart. She's just, uh, the way we sanctify gossip is, would you please pray for Jim Jones? I, I, I hear he's having an affair with, with his secretary. <laughs> he needs our prayers. That's, you know, you put, put angel wings on your gossip right there. He's having an affair with, you know, Sally Nimble over there who, who, who is, she herself needs our prayers too. But that's, well, sanctified gossip may be acceptable socially, it may be acceptable, but it ain't acceptable to God unto whom all hearts are open and who knows everything. And unto whom we are given a gossip, and God, gossip is rotten meat. Ephesians 4:29. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for edifying, as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those. Something more subtle here uh, in sanctified gossip. Uh, and most good Episcopalians don't slander, but if they are like me. They envy and they lust and they're irritated and they're angry and they're terribly proudful. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but lamentable or not, uh, they, they eat away at us, at, at us. They are subtle, and the devil loves these acceptable sins. I think the devil can use those a lot more than he can the more flagrant ones because, it, because you're going to kind of get lulled into thinking that they're not so bad. Uh, and it's not cheating if everybody does it, and th that whole mindset. And I'm, uh, it's just a part of who I am. It's part of my personality. Thou shalt do this, and thou shalt not do that. Thou shalt be thankful. Thou shalt be thankful. Thou shalt not be prideful. Thou shalt be patient. Thou shalt not be irritable. That's the law. And the law is wonderful advice. But if the law worked, we could have stopped with Moses. Now, here's a famous quote or at least one half of a famous quote from, from my, my mentor, Charles Spurgeon. Until I made all the people in my parish immoral. I kept urging them to keep God's law until I made them break it. Charles Spurgeon. Second half 
of Spurgeon, that, 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 that great famous quote is, I preached morality until I made all the people in my parish immoral. I kept urging them to keep God's law until I made them break it. But, the envious and gospel singers, sinners, we are indeed a hospital uh, for sinners. And we are great sinners, but Jesus is a great Savior. The gospel is for sinners. As we say in the prayer of humble access, we are not worthy enough to gather up the crumbs of thy table, but the good news is that, that he is always the same God whose property is always to have mercy. And the shock of the gospel is despite our sinfulness, despite of these sins that work themselves into our lives, there is, Romans 8, 1, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Outside of Christ Jesus, there's all kinds of condemnation. But if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And this is music in a sinner's ears. Acceptable sins are serious. God's law condemns us. They are meant to stop every mouth. St. Paul, if we say we have no sin, or St. John, if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And I hope that close the summary of the law in our liturgy. Thou shalt love the law of thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. And what follows, Lord have mercy. You respond, Christ have mercy. Lord, we stand condemned. And I always stand condemned. And the turning point of a sinner's life is found right at this juncture. First, in being convicted, recognizing the sin, seeing the sin, seeing how it hurts the people that I'm supposed to love, seeing how it See how it gnaws away out of our own souls. Uh, seeing that and then confessing it, say, Lord, you know, I am. I am just, I am just uh, a miserable offender, as we used to do, or a new heart and, and to lead another, uh, a better life. You know, when you're convicted of it and you receive forgiveness of it, then you've got a chance uh, to be, uh, first of all, acceptable sins in, in practical terms is the, the denial of seeing sin in our lives, seeing these little socially acceptable sins. I, perhaps that is the, one of the most grievous of all acceptable sins is, is, is becoming... So the answer for us is increasing awareness of, of these sins in our lives coupled with the increasing awareness of that way. There's an opportunity for, for growth. So... That's all about acceptable sins. We've got, we got about five minutes for your comments or your... Uh, I'll take any questions that thing about except being angry at God. <laughs> I guess we could do a class on just socially acceptable sins and cultural acceptable sins and where they go is, is, is according to what the Bible... What I was kind of focusing on this morning was more... Uh, individually, what becomes comfortable to us? Because well, what you need to be careful. I'm not picking you because I know you, no, David. And I can talk. So I can talk candidly. But what you got? Prophet Jeremiah says we've forgotten how to blush. We're not even ashamed of it. It's still socially acceptable. Now I don't want to beat that to death because here again, what, my my problem is falling into moral superiority. See, because it's easy for me to point fingers at this poor lady. This this this. this, this I'm not. I'm 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 glad I'm not like her. You know, and I, I'm glad I'm not like these other people who got it all wrong. Uh, so it, it, it's the problem is the above. Yeah, but the one that really gave me pause for thought was when you talked about being proud of your children, and um, you know, I and I love the 
the way and they tell me I'm angry at God I would never sit down and say now now that's sinful I would never do that so I'm talking to you guys you know this is a class on on, on, on the, the trap of calling it cause uh, itself uh, in in God's grace because that is the only thing that will transform our lives uh, is, is God's grace and all the moral exaltation I can, you can give classes like this until you you make me so proud Let's go forth into the world, rejoicing in the power of the Spirit.